Broadcasting live from Sean Gunn's inevitable cameo, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And it is time to talk about the Suicide Squad, Seamus, not not Suicide Squad 2016, that was last week, so I, I, I hate to say it, you're going to have to go back and watch the, the other movie. Seamus, oh. you, you watched the wrong movie. God, I, I watched the theatrical cut of the original Suicide Squad twice to get ready for this, and now here we are. <laughs> Damn it. But uh, before we talk about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad 2021, we're going to jump into some news real quick. Starting off with a bit of news that I know you are probably more hyped for than I am, but maybe this will get me to rewatch the original here. Chronicle 2 has been announced to be in development. Are you not a Chronicle boy, Seamus? I've never seen Chronicle. I thought it looked lame when it came out before my, my absolute... Just pure lust for good found footage movies. That movie came out, and I was just like, "Yeah, whatever." These guys look like d bags. I don't really care. But I've been told. What did you so say many- about Michael B. Jordan? Hey, Davis? man, that was before I knew who. You know, I didn't know who Michael B. Jordan was. What year was that first one? Uh, 2012, probably. I knew him from. Certainly, I knew him from some. Oh, Parenthood, the show Parenthood, and I also knew him on um. Something else. I knew him from something else. Oh, Friday Night Lights, of course. See, I only knew who Michael B. Jordan was after he was the iconic Human Torch. And anything before that, I I, I don't know what to tell you. I haven't seen this movie since it came out. And it's entirely possible I wouldn't dig it now. I dug it when I was 14 because, you know... I mean, to this day, I hear people saying that Chronicle is, like, underrated and, and way better than people remember, but... Sadly, I know how it ends. I, I got it spoiled for me like when it came out all the way back in 2012 or whatever, so it wouldn't be a huge surprise or anything, but, you know, maybe with this second you know one coming say, out. what they say, if you have spoilers, it's not worth watching a movie altogether because you know what happens, and all that movies are is a way to feed information into your brain. I will never watch The Sixth Sense, and that's a promise, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my stupid dumb dumb brain does kind of work like that. Like I'll be so much less inclined to watch a movie if I know how the, any kind of big twist. I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, legitimately, never seen The Sixth Sense, and kind of a little bummed that I know how that goes. But like, I'm I, sad to hear that, Seamus, because I, I think there some of my favorite movies I knew stuff going into, but still really got a lot out of. I think part of it is also it's. The journey, man. You know, I like, know, just because you know how it I ends know. doesn't mean you know where it's going all the way. And that's why it's, like, so dumb when I don't watch something like... I think I avoided watching The Departed for a while, and I, by the time I watched it, I was like, oh, I'm so stupid for not watching this, even though I know, like, that this one character dies. There's, like, ten crazy deaths in that movie. Oh, yeah, I to- like, I knew several of the deaths from the third act of that movie, and still, I mean, that's a wild ride, that film. I mean, I don't want to get into the Watch Mojo stuff, but truly, I ruined so much of my my film twists by watching those stupid lists. Ugh. Uh, what you want to hear about the entire third act of L.A. Confidential? See, that's a, actually that is truly an example. Watch Mojo lists. I knew I didn't watch a ton of Watch Mojo, but I knew when you know, and I saw one that was like about the end of L.A. Confidential, and I still I love L.A. Confidential, and I hadn't seen it then, but now, you know, you get it. Oh, totally. I mean, that one it may be a special case, too, because that movie is so damn good, but I don't know. 
I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I can say that I, I might watch the first Chronicle before the second one comes out. I, do you, do we know anything about this, this new one? Is it going to be even found footage again? I think they're ladies. I think I don't know if it's found footage. I, I would, I would assume it's going to be found footage. How weird would that be if they just made it not (laughs) found footage? I don't know, man. The Cloverfield sequels weren't found footage. That's, but the Clover, I mean, this could honestly be anthological just like the Cloverfields are because I think they said it's not really going to be tethered to the original characters. I mean, yeah, I could hardly imagine it's going to be like a really direct sequel. Maybe there's just more teenage superpower D-bags. I'm excited to find out, Seamus. Coming up next, something that I know we are both very excited for. Brendan Fraser has joined Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I was already hyped out of my mind for this movie, Seamus, but here we go. Brendan's back, bro. Brendan is back. He is... I I looked up his IMDb before this episode just because I was like, wait, didn't I hear he also got cast in other things? He's in, like, four different things right now that are all, like, feature-length films. He's still killing it on Doom Patrol. He's... I don't, I don't know, man. I think, give it a few years, Hollywood will realize that they still have gold on their hands. They'll get him in shape. Mummy 4. I know that's like, we always go back to the mummy, but that's that's really my dream, you know? Do a Crystal Skull style, where he's just like, a bit older, still, still a badass. I mean, I think that, if you want to talk mummy specifically, I think Rachel Weisz bringing, if you, they could get Rachel Weisz back, get a director she wants to work with to do another mummy, I think that if you get them back together, that'd be really good. Brendan Fraser, it's a very complicated thing, I think, for him and The Mummy, because in addition to all of the other horrific stuff that he went through in Hollywood that kind of led to him leaving Hollywood for a while, his decline in his career, he also just got absolutely destroyed making those movies. Like, he got oh, hurt yeah. a ton. And the third movie... um he was ju- he was like barely holding it together they were literally like taping him together with body pads to yeah, make that that's third horrible one. i heard yeah like injured doing stunts i think something about like tearing his vocal cords doing those o'connell screams for mm-hmm. the third one too like if Just, we can get a filmmaker who i maybe respects the man that they're working with maybe maybe I mean, mummy four can be more I, in the cards i don't think it's i don't think like steven summer's hated Brendan Fraser or anything like that I just think it was a case of this kind of toxic and like not it like not even an environment but an attitude of it's okay like we just got to keep the show rolling and not prioritizing Mm. the health of one of the of the lead actor so I have no idea if Brendan Fraser would be interested in returning to the mummy franchise if he were even then like I don't even know how much of shape he can get into, Shavis, because his body is so permanently messed up from all of that trauma. Yeah, man. He got those long-lasting injuries for sure. It's, I mean, granted, you know, he's still, like, I just watched, on your recommendation, I watched No Sudden Move. He is one of the main characters in that. I think he did fantastic in that movie, and I think that definitely... That kind of gangster attitude is going to lend itself incredibly well to whatever Scorsese's got cooking up with this new one. I mean, Fraser, his charm is not just in the fact that he's in good action movies. He is, like, a genuinely good, compelling, charming actor, and I don't think taking him out of action roles doesn't mean that he's not good at doing other stuff, and I'm excited to see this new chapter in his career, because it seems like he's just going to be working with, like, 
acclaimed directors because yeah. they see how good he is. It's I'm telling you, it's the biggest comeback that we always wanted, and I'm like you said, I'm definitely excited to see this new one. Yeah, me too, 100%. Up next, we got our first look at Amazon's Lord of the Rings series, just a promo image. Uh, It premieres September 2nd, 2022, and will release on a weekly schedule. I am so glad that we are slowly but surely killing the binge model, Seamus. It's it's (laughs) wonderful to see. That's your big takeaway from this one, huh? I kind of like it, too. I don't mind the weekly releases at all. It, It gives a little bit more... And I mean, you know, we had a little bit of a weird start with that WandaVision stuff way back when that was like the big straight-to-streaming series premiere, and they kind of... I I don't know if it was a misstep, but just like it felt like that was more of a bingeable thing, and now it's they're being designed again to be on a week-to-week basis, just like just old classic television, and I, I don't mind at all. I think that's the secret, is when you're creating... And there are plenty of good binge shows like stranger things is well written and kinetic and really good i'm not saying sure you know that there isn't well written television that's bingeable but you're having to tell more complete stories when you're writing with a weekly format in mind also it keeps things in the zeitgeist because talk about stranger things there will be hype for a new season it will drop everybody will watch it you'll have this weird like i don't really want to talk about it with people because i don't know how far they are Mm. and then after a couple weeks, nobody's talking about it anymore. As opposed to Disney Plus has found great success releasing things week to week. Apple TV Plus is keeping Ted Lasso right now in the zeitgeist by releasing it week to week. People are like, did you see the new episode? What's old is new again, Seamus. They're rediscovering what made television work to begin with. I'm into it, man. I mean, eventually there'll just be so many weekly streaming series that it's just going to be every day is going to be a new episode of something like we'll, we'll get to that point disney will disney will make it so i mean th- there will be a new episode of something on disney plus probably every day eventually but in terms of lord of the rings i am excited about this series i i really like the peter jackson ones but i am very interested to see what you can do with this story in a longer form to take it and expand it and really dig into the text the way that you can only do in a series in a television series because at first i was like why are we doing these why are we doing this show because we just have these movies and they're good and they haven't dated at all but it's mythological it's archetypical and it's got a very rich lore that deserves to be fully explored i think yeah man i mean i you know i'm still very unversed in all things lord of the rings besides the first movie which i think is very very good but this is definitely i think gonna finally get me to break that seal maybe watch those insane and extended cuts to get prepped wait so have you not seen the second two lord of the rings movies? i have only seen fellowship of the ring oh, Seamus, you and i are gonna have so much fun <laughs> so much walking Ooh, baby i'm into maybe it we'll man do the extended cuts they're on hbo i'm into like i want to get that extended cut just because like if i'm gonna watch them i want to go all in extra walking extra insane wide shots of the new zealand landscape i i'm all about it I, i'm excited maybe i'm assuming we'll cover the trilogy for our show when that new show is coming out 
Maybe we can talk about that week to week. I think that would be a fun one. I would be into that. You know, I haven't really been into, like, a fantasy series since, like, early Game of Thrones, I think. It's all been, it's been a lot of Star Wars, been a lot of Marvel, but not a lot of, like, high fantasy stuff. Ah, yes. Star Wars, the the show about space wizards with magic swords. Oh, you know what I mean. That's sci-fi fantasy, you ass. But speaking of Star Wars, (laughs) transitions. Oh, love it. Uh, Lego Star Wars is producing yet another holiday special. This time it's a Halloween special coming to Disney Plus on October 1st. Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. Yeah, I'm into it. I liked that Christmas special. I thought that was a lot of fun. They're just going to cram a lot more Star Wars memes into into this one. I assume it's going to be like Treehouse of Horror style where it's just like anthology, a few stories thrown in there. That's what it sounds like from the pitch or from the synopsis. It's. I think there's something with Poe is on a mission to the ruins of Vader's castle and then oh. he's hearing all these horrific stories about, you know, oh, what happened at Vader's Castle, which is literally, there's a Star Wars Adventures run written by Charles Soule, who is now a writer for the High Republic, called Tales from Vader's Castle, which is about a group of people on a mission to Vader's Castle and hearing all the bad things that happened at Vader's Castle. Wow, and they, well, I guess they burned it on a Lego thing. I mean, burned it, whatever, but <laughs> it's very much a sillier way to go about it. I, that I could have been like have- a Black Mirror style. Style Star Wars spinoff show where you just like hear messed up things about the galaxy. I think Treehouse of Horror though is a very apt way to describe it, and I think it will be very inspired by that format, Seamus. I think you're completely oh, yeah. right about that. Oh yes, we'll probably get one of these every Halloween, I assume, something like it. Or well, I don't know. Maybe they'll do a Valentine's Day special in 2023 or whatever. I'm not necessarily uh, banking on them doing Saint Patrick's Day in space. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, They'll hit everything oh eventually. I'm sure, yeah. But let, but let's go ahead and move on to our main segment, I think, Seamus. I am very excited to talk about it. Let's get into it. This week, our main segment, as we've been building up for the last few weeks, is the brand new James Gunn's The Suicide Squad that just dropped on HBO Max as of... Two days ago, as of uh, as of the date of recording. Well, also technically, it dropped on Thursday, Seamus, which is unlike oh, these yeah. HBO Max premieres. Which I'm really hoping they keep that going because not that you know I don't want to sound like a gimme 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 guy, but in theaters they are releasing these. You know, Thursday at five or six, you can start seeing them, but then you've got to wait till Friday morning usually to watch watch them on HBO, and so, not again. That's such a tiny little note to have, but I do like that they released this one on Thursday. No, yeah, it's a tiny little note to have, but, like, it's very much appreciated when it comes down to it like this. Like, we both liked that we didn't have to, like, it wasn't a 3 a.m. Friday drop as it would be otherwise, you know? We got to, you get to take your time like a real premiere, and, you know, that's just a, it's just a good check mark in the HBO Max uh, column, I think. Also, just a personal note for us that allows us to better record. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't have to watch a movie at 8 a.m. on Friday morning and then and record at 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's that's nice, too, for sure. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed this movie as a whole. I think that I probably had the most fun in this movie, in a DC movie in general, since I've had since, like, Shazam, maybe. Oh, yeah, this is... 
I don't know if I liked it better than Shazam. I really was taken with Shazam, but this is so much better than most of the DC content. It's so much more fun. Yeah, it's like most of the DC content already top three. Like if somebody was like, hey, do you want to watch a DC movie? That one would be higher up there than more than half of them for sure. I mean, I honestly want to watch it again. That's partially because I was really tired last (laughs) night when I was watching the first half. But But also because it's really good. I I really enjoyed it. And I want to see, you know, now that I know we were talking about spoilers earlier. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Now that I know the trajectory of all of these characters and the the story overall, I want to go back and I want to watch it again and go on that journey again with that additional insight. And I think that is the mark of, at le- at the very least, a genuinely entertaining film. I think so, too, man. I just, like, especially because we watched the original 2016 Suicide Squad last week, that's, like, pretty much all I could compare it to in my head, like, the whole time. And I, at every single turn in this new one, I was, like, you know, big smile on my face. I was laughing at a lot of these jokes that would have otherwise been written to almost seemingly fall flat on purpose in the original one you know there were still a couple eye rollers for sure but you know the majority of the the humor i definitely appreciated i think a lot of the humor in the first act of this movie is pretty hit or miss yeah but especially the helicopter scene towards the beginning i think specifically (laughs) is hit or miss but i also think you were talking about how you're holding the 2016 suicide squad in your mind Mm -hmm. and i think the first half overall is designed to know most of the audience is going to have that expectation of what that movie is, of how it's structured, or lack of structure. Sure, sure. And this film, which we'll talk about more in spoilers, is actively subverting or playing with those expectations established from the first one. I think it is very self-aware, and I'm surprised that DC let Gunn do so much of that. But it sounds like he got basically free reign with this project, and it shows because this is some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen in a mainstream blockbuster. I think it's definitely the goriest blockbuster (laughs) I've seen. Like, I cannot think of the last time I saw a big studio movie with this much blood. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like that stands out for sure. Um, especially, you know, putting it next to all these other DC movies, not even just the Suicide Squad. It's, uh, it's definitely very, it's earned that R rating it's got on there. I think it's, was it like the second or third R-rated DC movie? I cannot think of another R-rated DC movie, but... Well, isn't, isn't the Snyder Cut rated R, or is that unrated? Oh, yeah, no, I think it is rated R. I think it is rated I think R. that one and then the original? No, the original Suicide Squad wouldn't be rated R, would it? No, I think it's PG-13. Well, damn. Whatever. Either way, like I I there was a lot of fun gore that I really appreciated. There's a couple scenes of like just absolutely comical carnage that that was really getting me. Felt felt very at home with that kind of group too. And again, I think that movie is consciously addressing the fact that that first movie for a movie called Suicide Squad, and we didn't even really touch on this last week, most of the team makes it out <laughs> of that yeah, first Yeah, that's one. true. That, like, <laughs> that's actually very true. Don't they all make it out except for Diablo? Well, there's uh, there's Slipknot. Oh, well, he doesn't Samus. even count, bro. Come on. I don't think you remember Slipknot. <laughs> Nobody remembers Slipknot. 
But yeah, I think for, yeah, some soldiers get taken away or whatever, and we might be misremembering. There might be somebody else, but I don't think there is. But this this new one, oh boy, no one is safe, truly. They say that, and that again, this is something we'll have a longer conversation about in spoilers. They say that Gunn wasn't given anybody that was off limits, that anybody that was in this movie he could have killed if he wanted to. Oh. And I th- again, I think he is really consciously being like, I'm I'm laying it all out on the table. I'm going to show you that nobody in this movie is safe. And from the very get-go, which is why we've been talking kind of so nebulously, I think because <laughs> the very nature of this film and the way it is structured kind of dictates that from minute 1 you can't discuss further without revealing the trajectory of the overall story. So what what do you say we we get into it a little bit? There's there's plenty to like you said, plenty to talk about in just that first that first sequence. Absolutely. Um let's start off with okay, we'll talk about the beach and then we can backtrack to the beginning, I think, because sure. we have to talk about the beach. The that Dead- Deadpool 2 style massacre. <laughs> it really is, and I did think about that and I I I don't think that that was probably something James Gunn had in mind. I think he was more thinking about war movies. Yeah, and probably. also the fact that they're storming a beach at the beginning of this movie. I think he was probably thinking more about something like Saving Private Ryan, of just like look <laughs> at how how is anybody going to make it out of this scenario? Even these uh, largely super powered individuals. But it's also a statement to the audience of like nobody is safe. You, you you remember Captain Boomerang from the last movie? Forget <laughs> him. He's gone. <laughs> that really, that made me sad, but it also, it's how that character would have wanted to go as a joke death in the beginning of the first 30 seconds of that fight. I mean, that is really the only death that emotionally impacted me from this opening sequence. Because not that I really, we talked last week about how we were like, Captain Boomerang is kind of whatever <laughs> in the first one, but... I think they did so much good work at the very beginning of this movie in the helicopter sequence, establishing him and Hartley's rapport in a way more organic and fun way than they ever had in the first film. Yeah, and you know, they were playing off the idea that maybe the first film, maybe this is actually a sequel, seeing as how like the only three people that are kind of friendly are uh, her, Captain Boomerang, and Rick Flagg. And yeah, it feels like a nice little like reunion in a way. She's just like casually back in prison. Sounds very fun. I mean, yeah, this movie is entirely unconcerned with continuity yeah, from that's the last true. film. But again, it's aware of what the audience has going in. The information the audience has going in because probably if you're seeing this movie, you saw the last one. So yeah. being able to capitalize on you know, oh, these characters have this relationship. And we're going to talk about Bloodsport here in a minute. That, I think, is also a very conscious kind of comparison to the first Suicide Squad. I mean, entirely. If you want to talk about parallels of, like, obviously Deadshot and Bloodsport, their relationships with their daughters and their, like, motivations to join the Task Force X and all that. Like, it's as about as close as you could get with a foil without it being... I mean, it is still pretty comically obvious, but... I mean, I think that first uh, phone call set up yeah. where 
he's talking to his daughter and you think it's gonna be a nice moment and they're just screaming at each other <laughs> yeah his daughter hates him and i like that his like it's a conscious way of making this a meaner film that gun is trying so hard i think to be like these are bad people because the first one doesn't do any work to show you that they're bad yeah it's just like oh they're fun characters whatever but i think every character that is around for longer than 30 seconds in this movie (laughs) has a moment that makes you consider the the depravity of their their moral values like that they just have no bottom and we'll get into that more in a minute but going back to the beach because i do want to talk about it <laughs> you've got nathan fillion he loved he's that got tdk i like that they kill weasel immediately yeah did anybody check if if the weasel could swim <laughs> like that's really <laughs> and it's not even a violent death it's just michael um michael rooker is that yeah michael rooker drag michael rooker drags him to shore and it's just like he's dead he drowned 10 minutes ago before i dragged him back to shore man yeah michael rooker is hilarious in this movie like what a weird (laughs) role he's he's making weird choices and he's got that weird hair i'm yeah it it was it was very fun to see him for the short time that we got he was he was the slipknot of this movie of like all right here's here's the example bomb in the neck also, very grateful they didn't, they really didn't over-explain the bomb in the neck. They just really jumped right into it. We, again, them understanding that, like, we have that base knowledge. We get it. Bomb in the neck, mm-hmm. escape from New York style, no funny business. They somehow get it in that shark guy's neck. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Maybe it's a huge one. It's like, it, like the rest <laughs> of them are the size of Tic Tacs. This one's the size of a Beats pill. Yeah, there it is. Oh, God. I love that. I love King Shark. That man's the best. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm getting oh. a little away from the beach. I don't know where else yes. you wanted to jump to on that. Just the fact that, overall, the beach scene serves not only as an important plot and surprising opening, but I think it services Amanda Waller's character way better than literally anything of the first one did, because they make her an absolute monster in this, oh, yeah. because they're not afraid to make her actions have more horrifying consequences. Because in the first one, it's like, she's mean, but that's about it. She's mean. Like, the most evil thing she does in that first one is, like, shoot her, like, tech team. They're like, they're not mm-hmm. cleared for any of this, whatever. But this but one, it's, she's it's a like... a hollow gesture. Yeah. It's, you don't know any of those characters. You don't do anything with them. But in this film, it's a literal suicide squad. She sends that team to the beach to die. Yeah. Straight up fully diversion lambs to the slaughter i mean it it doesn't even matter that pete davidson like double crossed them and immediately gets his face shot off like they went there for sure to just be the distraction or maybe that was part of the plan was that part of waller's plan i don't know i think the fact that it isn't answered is also terrific because this film understands the power of a good twist the twist like the fact that they're in Midway City to rescue Waller in the first one, that doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. This changes everything. The reason you're there, who you can trust, what you're doing. Also interesting that, like, Waller put Rick Flagg on the team that was sent in to die 
I mean, as well as, I mean, Harley lesser so, because I'm sure Waller cares less about that, but it feels like Rick Flagg is, like, way more of her guy in the field. Oh, he is. He's not a Suicide Squad member. Like, yeah, he's, like, the the Wrangler. supervising them. Yeah. But he still gets sent in, and just by luck, he finds those rebels, pretty much. Once again, playing off of your expectations and what you know from that first film of, like, oh, Rick Flagg is Waller's guy, that helps impact the story you don't have to have seen the suicide squad to get that they still show you that in the or the first suicide squad they still show you that in the first act of this movie but it helps it's it's intertextual in a productive way not in a way that hinders this film this you don't need to see any other movie to see the suicide squad which i think is great yeah i i like that a lot seriously since i mean all the main characters are more or less brand new except for Hardly. You don't really need. You don't really he's even need to know anything about Flag either. Like he's just a soldier guy. Mm-hmm. Like Harley's a new character in this, pretty yeah. much. Anyway, I think it's the first time that a filmmaker has understood how to use Harley. She's not a main character. Like she can't be the protagonist of a film. Right. It's it hinders her too much. It it tries to lay like trying to lay a hero's journey over that character I think is is hard. Not that that character can't grow and change, but she's ultimately chaotic. Yeah, like, she is an agent of chaos. It's like Jack Sparrow rules. Yeah. It's that the character is there to accomplish things, certainly, but not necessarily to carry the full weight of a story. Oh, man. Birds of prey, huh? Jesus Christ. I mean, I... They should have made somebody else the main character in Birds of Prey. And they also should have had more team members. And True. that's a lesson that this movie learned. That they needed to flesh out team members to make them work together. And that Harley has to kind of be on the sidelines to start. And, and you know, she still gets, like, a great, like, personal action sequence later on. Which is, like, absolutely wonderful. And perfectly set to the best music you know you know how that goes in james gunn movies i'll say this seamus some of the musical cues did not work for me no and i think overall i am a little hesitant on movies that i feel like are over reliant on needle drops in general i think filmmakers like edgar wright are really good at at organically baking them into moments in the movies and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, the movies that James Gunn made his needle drops famous with, are so pivotal to character and so integral to the way that that character is feeling, the way their worldview works, and it's diegetically coming in. In this film, most of the needle drops are diegetic. Like you, you'll hear the tinny radio and then it'll overtake or the it'll overtake and then you'll cut to the tinny radio and they did that like just a bunch of times and i was like i get it movie <laughs> it doesn't need to do it again like i don't need to hear the cool action sequence music and then cut to the soldiers listening to it in the front of the truck <laughs> i mean like i i will say like when harley is being tortured isn't she singing the song that then comes on i i did like that i like that one I'm not saying, like, not all of them. They're not all perfect. I liked a lot. They're not all winners. You know, it's 100 Floors of Frights. (laughs) Oh, God. And, you know, again, compared to 2016, like, what a godsend of these needle drops, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, here's the thing. 
we could talk about this movie like a movie because it's getting so many things right. Yeah. And we can talk about those little things like, well, did this fully service the character or whatever? Or is that motif just a little bit too, you know, transparent or heavy-handed? In that movie, we're like, how could this movie be more like a good movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we meet our, our real team after the fact we do a, a nice flashback we already alluded to blood sport but we haven't talked about peacemaker at all we barely talked about king shark and Ratcatcher 2 loved her and her friend seymour the rat right was that his name sebastian sebastian excuse me every actor in this movie is doing a fantastic job i want to say that like i think that this movie is super well cast and that they are really inhabiting their characters Absolutely, you know, like, it's, like, (laughs) I was always skeptical of John Cena, but, like, being a super stiff, rule-following psychopath is, like, kind of great for him, I think. Also, that character is the most, like, he's, like, he's pulled out of a 60s comic. He's the most transparently bizarre, over-the-top spandex tight shirt whatever yeah big and literally shiny bulky helmet it kind of plays to his strengths as a wrestler too it's like it is a wrestling character yeah really. yeah truly just very and so i really enjoyed that yeah definitely and we don't want to we don't want to sleep on polka dot man one of my absolute oh. mvps of this movie and that's the reason i had to like uh clarify i had to uh, I had to mention, you know, I when I was talking about uh, emotionally affecting deaths, I had to clarify on the beach because I was sad when he died. Yeah, dude, oh. really fun. Yeah, he was such a weirdo. He was like definitely somehow maybe the most unhinged out of all of them. Very like Freudian weird stuff. Again, it was like the mom thing. I felt like came back a couple too many times. Like if I feel like it would have been better if we saw it at the beginning and then at the and, end. Yeah, with the big. Starboy, because that's so funny. Like, yeah, <laughs> see, it, when it cuts to her and it's her, like as a giant ball. Yeah, that's I love that. Mm-hmm. That was very fun. But yeah, they do it like I think like four times in total or three times in total. And you're right, it could have just four, been a. I think could have just been yeah. a satisfying callback at the climax battle there, but you know. But this is a very good third act. I think this. I think this film really picks up at the halfway point, and that might be because. I stopped around the halfway point last night and then watched the rest of it this morning when I was more awake. Fair but, enough, but you're not wrong. I think I think you're you're pretty accurate in saying like I think it definitely does get better in the second half, and maybe that is just because it starts to get even more off the rails, and I kind of maybe stopped comparing it as much to maybe 2016 Suicide Squad and kind of just got caught up in everything. But I don't know. I think Star. Starro the Conqueror? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's Starro. Starrio, Starro the Conqueror. I thought that was a lot lot of fun with the face hugger minions. That was really cool. All the gore where Peter Capaldi is just like showcasing his body horror workshop. A lot of fun there. Oh, yeah. The half body, just guts slinking out. We're in Overlord all of a sudden. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what it was like, truly. Oh man, but that was what? Go ahead. That was a really crazy fun villain. I thought for them to fight, like give the Suicide Squad, give the Suicide Squad something insane. 
I really like that, and it allows for a really creative, surprising, fun third act, but also it doesn't just say, okay, now it's a big fight scene against the thing. We get a lot of really interesting character moments in and leading up to that final confrontation with Starro itself. Like, I think the scene where Peacemaker and Rick Flag ha- come to come to uh, are at odds with each other is really super compelling and about the best this movie gets. Yeah, man. And I mean, honestly, going back to emotionally impacting deaths, it kind of I I kind of liked Rick Flag way more in this movie, and he gets stabbed in the damn heart by a shard of porcelain. That was pretty pretty rough. How good is he in this movie? I'm really glad they brought Joel Kinnaman back. Yeah, because it's like night and day. He's like genuinely, I like him a lot in this movie. I barely remember him I from really, the original, the 2016 one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I will say the one thing that didn't really work for me with that, not just that character, but the whole sequence at the club I thought they were really oh yeah you know be like oh they're friends now and I was like okay completely agreed that was like a little weirdly long where it's like one drink guys okay and then it turns into the hangover montage where they're just like getting messed <laughs> up and laughing with each other and it's the same shot of like spinning around the booth yeah. over and over again and I'm almost surprised I- they didn't cut to like a montage of them using their metahuman powers as like party tricks. You know, oh, blood I sports like throwing class, all. Famous. Yeah, exactly. You get it. He's doing all bullseyes on the dartboard, and the King Shark's in like the big fish tank behind the bar. And hey, King Shark wasn't allowed to go in because he's got oh, How mean are they to the animal characters <laughs> in this movie, man? I it's so sad. Idris Elba didn't take I that mean, rat's leaf. What the hell? King Shark is so. Like, is the standout of this movie, I think. <laughs> oh, he's like big, dumb Hulk. It's like Hulk meets Groot, basically, is what it is. Yeah, it's... He's just big and sweet and stupid, but also a monster. He's so <laughs> yeah. scary. I was like, there's that dramatic moment where he falls off the the Jotunheim tower. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Jotunheim? And yeah, Jotunheim. I'm like, oh no, don't do... Oh, he's fine? Oh, he's being mowed down with machine guns and nothing's happening? I guess this is okay. I love that he is, for the most part, seemingly unkillable. (laughs) That's where I go back to, like, where's the bomb in his neck? Or do they just say, like, hey, big dumb shark, do you want to go do this thing? And he's like, yeah, sure. Hand. I was sad for his little friends eating him. I mean, uh, that was so obviously coming. Truly. It still might be sad. Still sad, yeah. (laughs) Um... I that entire Jodenheim sequence where the flooding like some of the most inventive large scale action I've seen in a blockbuster in a long time where the there's been an explosion in the building and there is a room flooded with water that has our characters in it and then as the building starts to fall the idea that the water would start pouring out with them in it I think that's crazy cool Oh, hell yeah, where it's like that is, like, they're at once struggling to swim and about to be thrown off a skyscraper. It's it's really good. It's so inventive, and I wish it stayed for, like, ten minutes. I wish that sequence were way longer, because I thought it was such a cool idea. And then I think the follow-up of 
the way Bloodsport falls through the building. Oh floor yeah, by floor he just keeps cool like too. catching his stance every time he drops a floor, right until he's they they sync up the the two timeline scenes there. Yeah, that movie does that a few times where it's like, oh, you before we go into this, we need to go back and set this up, and yeah. I. I liked most of those payoffs. It did feel a little bit like, oh, we're doing this again <laughs> by the end, but I liked them still, so I guess that's kind of a silly complaint. Yeah, and I mean, like, also, I was I was amused by the creative title cards as well, where it almost felt like chapter titles throughout the movie more than anything else. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I like thought that was really... Frasier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, oh, you're speaking my language now, pal. Oh, yeah. Why is it Frasier in the Suicide Squad? Why wasn't Frasier the voice of King Shark? Hey, that's Sly Stallone. You knock off Sly Stallone. Okay? Oh, that's true. That's true. You can't. You can't bump him. When is James Gunn really gonna make the Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like the Miley Cyrus Stallone team getting back together? Maybe that'll be the Christmas special. They're doing that Christmas special. Oh, that'd be the best bait and switch, where it's not even any of the main Guardians. I like that. I'd be down for that. Yeah. But, getting back to the actual oh, movie... of course. Following that Bloodsport sequence is another really cool bit where they have the callback to how Peacemaker's little bullet would go <laughs> yeah. through the bullseye, or through the bullet hole in the bullseye of Bloodsport's bullet, and then the fact that playing into the weaknesses of that character that he's so over the top, that he has this huge, like, Joker gun with yeah. this huge cartoon bullet coming out of it that Bloodsport can shoot right through and shatter. Oh, yeah. It's perfectly in line with that character and a cool callback to their rivalry at the beginning of the film. Just... Oh, yeah, that great massacre great of the good guy rebels in their camp. Just, like, a pissing contest where they're seeing who could get the most lethal, like, no-look shots. And I think that is a moment where... The movie could have really easily reveled in that too much, but it is the film trying really hard to show you what bad guys these are. Like, that the, that the key dichotomy in this film is Peacemaker and Bloodsport, two men who are seemingly so similar. You know, they, they go to great lengths to point out you know, that Waller has basically the same spiel for them at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, I, I like that. And that they're, th they're these mirror images. They have this, again, like you said, this weird pissing contest where they're trying to kill e more guys than the other in cooler, trick-shotty <laughs> ways. But that what separates them, what makes it so that Bloodsport does eventually realize that he has, you know, he does have some good somewhere buried way deep down in him that Peacemaker doesn't have. I mean, this was all, this might be just like entirely stupid and coincidental, but Bloodsport, obviously one of my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, there's seemingly like a handful of references to that movie and that character, maybe, for Idris Elba, for whatever reason. He he mentions the dim mock, the death touch, which is like a huge plot point in Bloodsport. And he's also like dressed as casual Jean-Claude Van Damme at one point with like a tank top and super high-waisted like slacks on. Uh, Seamus, that sounds completely intentional to me. Like, you can't tell me James Gunn doesn't like stupid 80s Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme movies. I can, I can almost guarantee it. I mean, there's also the... 
I mean, to, to that point, I was going to say, like, in all of these Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, no matter what, even when he's playing twin brothers where one of them is evil, there's always, like, this guy is inherently good in his heart. He'll make the right choices, even if they're very hard. Maybe that bleeds it a little. I don't know what, if that was just more of, like, goofs about just making those visual and legitimate references, but, yeah, I don't know. I, that's the thing. Bloodsport in this film isn't inherently good. It's, it's like, almost a character flaw that it's a like he's like oh fine I, I i've been pushed to a horrific enough point that i've been forced to do the right thing and influenced by these people around me i mean ratcatcher 2 she is the one who every turn in this movie she's the one helping that character along on that journey pretty much that's very true that's very true also shout out to taika watiti who is ratcatcher 1 in those flashbacks I wasn't wild about that. That felt like egreg- like that cameo felt egregious felt, in that felt like it a took little... <laughs> me out of the movie. You weren't compelled by his heroin overdose? Yeah, I, that's the thing. It also felt like it was playing that a little bit more for laughs than I was comfortable I with. I feel like maybe we just expect it to be played for laughs because it is Taika Waititi, but he had no funny moments. He was just like giving sage advice and doing heroin. But then the nature of a cameo is that you are bringing, you know, the fact that, oh, that's a famous person into that equation. And yeah, that's true. is inherently silly. Very true. Maybe I don't that's know. Why it did feel a little strange, it's, but I was just like, hey, I know that guy. It's a larger conversation about, like, how do you take art on its own merits? And how much does that art expect you to bring into it? Like, what knowledge does that art expect you to bring into it? And we're not going to be able to have that full conversation right now especially because it's weirdly it's an individual conversation for each piece of art yeah all as art as a whole it's so it's such a crazy amount to process to talk about a stupid taika watiti scene in this movie but i mean a good title i really liked the end actually where he comes back and we get to see him and his daughter Mm -hmm. i'm trying Um, to think uh i think we're we're we've talked about most of the stuff i think i want to talk about in this film i liked the Harley and the the javelin. I thought that was a bizarre. Oh yeah, line. that was very funny. That she's just like it, it. To me, that felt the most like a D and D goof in a weird way of just like, well, I have this <laughs> special thingy that I'm just gonna carry around until I use, and that eyeball goop was absolutely disgusting. So it worked out but for she sure. Also, she also uses it in the scene with the where they're falling off the building. Like, she oh uses yeah, it more than once, which I appreciated. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Also, I want to shout out to uh, Bloodsport's suit, which is just the same suit from Hobbs and Shaw. Gonna go ahead and on record and say that. But also, I think, I don't know a ton about DC Comics in general, but I think Bloodsport isn't his thing that he can, like, manifest weapons. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it looked like in his, in this movie of just, like, his wristband turns into his deadly slingshot and his hip holsters are, like, part of his armor and stuff. That's what I'm saying. It's a cool way to... He'll kind of ground that concept of just, like, what if every part of my suit was part of a weapon? Because it's not, it didn't just seem like, oh, my wrist turns into a gun. It's like, oh, I can get the barrel attachment and then attach it to the thing that I'm already building. I definitely liked it, don't get me wrong. Uh, I also just like the cool gun twirling future gun transition where he, like, built it into different stuff, too. Like, yeah, where I we like see that. the close-ups of him, like, adding on the attachments. It looked, it just looked satisfying, for sure. It made me think about, did you ever have, like, Nerf guns? And how you could, like, change out the barrels oh, yeah. and, the, and the magazines and stuff and, and make, like, your own special whatever you wanted that 
Nerf gun to be. Baby's first arms deal. It's the best. Yeah, precisely. We alluded to it earlier, but I really did like the Harley Quinn action sequence that we were talking about. Like, I, I, I just want to say again how much that felt like Harley to me in a way that none of these other movies had. Yeah, totally. She's using the javelin. There's that great, like, hallucination of what she kind of sees in her bubbly psycho mind. It's very good. Yeah, I just I just dug that. That's all. I just wanted to touch back on that. Yeah, absolutely. But how about we talk about that stinger at the end now? So, yeah, Peacemaker, I guess, survived not only getting that tiny little Bloodsport bullet in his neck, but also having an entire building fall down on him. Yeah. Sure, I'll take that. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and James Gunn's girlfriend's there. She's gonna she's gonna take him to something. I don't know. That's setting up for the new Peacemaker series, where it's gonna focus on his job doing Suicide Squad stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to see that series. I had assumed it was a prequel, but now you know that we know he survived. I'm assuming that is yeah, it's just gonna like follow directly his wet work after getting out of the hospital. Sounds like it could and be a lot of fun, you know. You know, James Gunn coming back. Um, I think he directed most, if not all, of the episodes of that show. So, oh, awesome! Very nice. I'm I'm expecting very Homelander vibes, but with like you know guns and unapologetic violence. It definitely has. I think it's worth bringing up, not necessarily diving into too much. The similar nature of like Peacemaker in this film versus is John Walker, Captain America in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm. in this kind of hyper-nationalistic, uh, liberty-at-all-costs mentality, because I think he's clearly a satirization of those types of characters, Peacemaker. Yeah, what's it's his line is like, I love peace and I don't care how many women and children I have to kill to achieve it or something. Like, he's very, yep. like, lawful evil. He'll he'll follow those... Good soldiers follow orders, and he's taking orders from Waller, who is equally as, you know, cold-blooded, so... Oh, two things I loved in this movie that we haven't talked about at all are, one, when they go save Harley and she's already saved. <laughs> yeah, very I, much enjoyed that. That was spectacular. I loved that scene. Where they do, like, the whole setup of the break-in, too, where they're like, third floor clear, the rats are the lookouts. Uh, Yeah, very fun. Yeah, like, it's like Bloodsport's complaining. It's like, we had a really good plan. Or no, it's a flag, maybe. But (laughs) yeah, they're like, we had a really good plan, and we were going to execute it really well. She's like, oh, you can still do it. I'll go back in. It's okay. So I thought that that was terrific. And I also liked how much humanity they gave Waller's underlings. And that they turned on her. What a great... Like, the twist of this movie, which seems like, you know, when you're thinking about doing a Suicide Squad movie, and then when you see see it happen in here, you're like, oh, that's so obvious, of course, it it makes so much sense. Not in a bad way or a lazy way, but in a, like, of course they should have to defy orders to save the day. Yeah, a little mutiny action. Of course the people working for Waller should overthrow her because she's insane. Like, those are great moments that, again, it's almost like the Suicide Squad 2016 could build to those same types of moments and just doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's, I I was just thinking, like, her, like, insane freak out before they clock her with that golf club is, like, the equivalent of that in 2016 was, like, just her shooting her staff, basically, and it's so Mm -hmm. much less... I mean, both on the acting side of Viola Davis and just, like, the importance of those underling characters probably going forward into the John Cena show. 
Like, that's that's very well done. And imagine if those characters in Suicide Squad 2016 had had the development that these underlings had. Yeah, it, it would have made a lot... It, there would have been more emotional deaths there instead of just, like, these three faceless extras just got capped. It's like when you're watching a Star Wars cartoon and the Imperial guys all have their hats over their faces so they can just <laughs> use the same model over and over again. Oh, you gotta love that. But yeah, I really enjoyed this film. It, it didn't all work for me, but what worked really worked, and I enjoyed it, and I will probably watch it again before it leaves HBO Max in 30 days. Yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly into this movie. They net, they didn't really set up for anything more than the John Cena spinoff show. Like, they kind of wrapped up. The... Well, Weasel's alive. Oh, yeah, but... Weasel's stumbling around that country wherever they are, and that's pretty fun. Maybe, maybe Weasel will show up in the show, but, you know, Idris Elba and, you know, all the surviving... Suicide Squad members kind of just have blackmail on Waller now. I don't know if we'll see them mm-hmm. again in a Suicide Squad I, context, that is. Yeah. I like that Sean Gunn is both Weasel and Calendar Man. Like, <laughs> yeah, Calendar, Calendar Man. Calendar Man in this movie. Oh, yeah, dunking on... <laughs> who, who does he dunk on? I don't even remember. Maybe Bloodsport? Something like no, that. No, I don't know. I don't remember. Whoever um, it is, it's a, it's a... Watch it again, Seamus. There we go. I'm down. I'm into it. It's a shame uh, with all this stuff going on. I would love to see this movie in large format. I would love to see an IMAX or Dolby or something like that. Yeah, me too. I think that would be a lot of fun. A lot of big action sequences. Just like a, just an incredibly fun time overall. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's definitely entertainment. Plus, kind of like Mitchell's versus the Machines, I said this for too, this film has a third act that I think would be really fun with an audience. Oh, totally, yeah. Big, big energy in that last part. Big kaiju fight? Come on. That that polka dot man, like, really good move right before he dies, that would have been, that would have been a, a big applause break. But yeah, overall, definitely check this one out. I'm assuming if you listen to spoilers, you already did, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a good one. Yeah, definitely worth the watch. Go check it out. What do you say? Should we move on to our pop culture reference of the episode? Let's do it. Today's pop culture reference is heel turns. A heel turn, or heel face turn, is a term used to describe when a character of historically evil actions, a heel, has a change of heart and shifts to more of a hero role, a face slash baby face. There are also face heel turns, which is the inverse, where a historically good character becomes bad. Think Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, or even Star Wars' Anakin Skywalker. Made famous by professional wrestlers in the height of its popularity, this plot device is an easy way to shock audiences that had grown to know a specific character by their common tropes. Obviously, these archetypes predate professional wrestling, but these terms have seeped into popular culture as a way to discuss characters from all mediums, usually lower art stories, such as action films or soap opera series, similar to the origins of the terms in the popular and operatic theatrics of professional wrestling. This concept's adaptation to other mediums has been expanded by the growing prominence of long-term blockbuster franchises where audiences often get to know characters over the course of several films. And I think about um, I think about Fast and the Furious, Seamus, our marathon, where <laughs> throughout the course of the series, you get several characters that are, are bad, then good, then bad again. And... A lot of flip-flopping there, for sure. And as you mentioned, you know, Star Wars has a couple of those here and there, a few in the, in the new trilogy, even, with, like, Hux and all that. But I think specifically Fast and the Furious is, li- li- like, particularly merits comparison to professional wrestling, partially <laughs> yeah. because there are multiple professional wrestlers in that series. Not to mention the fact that 
today's main segment, the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad in the comics and the films is essentially a team of heels. And some of them uh, get better. Some of them might even be worse than you think they are. But yeah, it's a lot of fun there. It's a, when you have all antagonists, everything is just, it, it gets into chaos, but it's a lot of fun. So yeah, if you have any favorite heel turns from wrestling, movies, TV, books, comics, let us know. Tweet us, email us, drop a comment on our TikTok. You get it. <laughs> what do you say we kick it on over and save the rec center, Garrett? Let's do it, Seamus. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got this week? Well, I think I actually referenced it even last week on the show, but I am eyeballs deep into Yakuza Kiwami 2 on my old trusty PS4 still for now, but it's a remaster of, or I guess it's a it's a full remake, rather, of the original Yakuza 2 that was for the PlayStation 2 back in the day, and I think I recommended the first one many, many, many episodes ago back when I was playing that, but it's basically just, like, all about street brawling, fighting, and getting into wacky, like, weird, humored side stories that just really sidetrack you all over this, like, weird Tokyo neighborhood in the early 2000s. It's thoroughly entertaining. I have to do, like, all of these infinite of mini games i have to learn how to play mahjong again to get this trophy it's it's <laughs> definitely for the last time oh god i i had to learn how to play it and i forgot thinking i would never do it again but here i am so it's it's definitely super long it's like a game that you could really sink your teeth into for like a couple months if you just wanted to go around doing all the side stuff so garrett once again i implore you give it a shot they're still making new ones it's an ongoing series so i mean you can catch up with all of the remastered and remade games that they made for ps4 Seamus is like spend months in a world and a game that i'm enjoying i don't think so i need to platinum that baby once flat <laughs> Oh, dude, yeah, I'm gonna, I say a month, I'm gonna be in that game forever. It is so long-winded and strange, in a good way. Well, it sounds like, like a good time. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of fun, it's, it's, and you know, virtual gambling, I'm into that, that's most of the side stories anyway, it's, 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 <laughs> it's very fun. I mean, that's me and Assassin's Creed Valhalla, that little <laughs> yeah. dice game that they have, Ooh, I'm like, yeah. okay, we're in a new town, where's the dice guy, I gotta beat him. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's, that's what it's all about, baby. What do you got this week, Garrett? Well, here's a little something that I think would have been really easy to miss. We talk a lot about, you know, movies that are going straight to streaming because of COVID, but this actually went straight to streaming for other reasons, and I could completely missed it. My parents just got back from Alaska, and they met a guy who worked as a stunt double slash sledding double on this film. Back when they were looking for content right after Disney Plus premiered, went live, they took this film, Willem Dafoe, in Togo, did, pulled it from a theatrical release, and hmm. put it on Disney Plus streaming exclusively. And I don't remember hearing anything about it when it came out, but my parents and I watched it, and it is genuinely very good. It is really emotionally turbulent, exciting, beautifully shot. It, it definitely has some CG in it, but most of the dogs seem to be practical, 
a lot of the landscapes, it seems like they really shot a lot of stuff in Alaska up there in the Klondike, or it's probably not the Klondike. I know Klondike's like a specific region, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. On location, plenty of real snow, less CG than you'd, than you'd prefer. It's really compelling. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I mean, personally, I love Willem Dafoe in general. He, that man can act his way out of a paper bag and he can act like it's the first time. And, you know, seeing him in like intense, more dramatic roles like that too, sounds lovely. I, I'm, I'm into it. And it's always nice to see him play a good guy. You know, like Willem Dafoe's the, the villain so often. Very true. Very true. I'm glad to see, you know, he's, what is he, like a dog sledder through the tundras? So it's the story of, you know, you know about Balto, you know, the story of Balto. It sounds familiar. The the dog that, that saved the town of all the people that oh, had sure, the yeah. sickness in Alaska. Well, that's shenanigans, Seamus, and this is the real story. Oh, no kidding. Go find out. Go watch Togo, Disney+. I'm Plus. into it. All right, Togo, Disney+. Plus. I'm in. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Comment below. Leave us a like. Give us a review that really helps us out. Uh, I'm at Strother Garrett on Twitter. And I am at Walk of Seamus on Twitter. I don't tweet much, but I will if people follow me. <laughs> it's, it's you got to get that engagement up before you can drop the good stuff. You don't want to waste know. it on your like thirty followers, Seamus. Oh my! My tweets about the MythBusters announcer will go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week we're going to be covering the season finale of The Bad Batch season one. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled. I haven't watched this week's episode yet, so I understand it's like a two-part finale. I'm really enjoying that show, and we haven't talked about it since the premiere, so well, I decided to check in with you. Yeah, I haven't watched an episode since the premiere, so I'm getting ready for a great <laughs> big binge that I'm super looking forward to. Um, and yeah, I've heard I've heard the at least the first part of this finale is real spicy, so I'm I'm looking forward to see what they've got for next week. Yep, I'm thrilled. I am absolutely looking forward to it, Seamus. All right, but until then, I think this is our sign-off. Adios, amigos. Oh, adios. Oh, you what? I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. Yeah, no, we should not trade rules. That's a bad. Oh, God. All right, well, a true adios, amigos. (laughs) You just got to get it in there, don't you? (laughs) All right.